Hello, this is Ruth Haley Barton, and you're listening to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm so glad to be with you today and wanted to take a few minutes to give you an update on where we are with the podcast. As an organization, the Transforming Center is taking a hiatus from the podcast this summer to pour some real time and effort and attention into some new projects and also the ongoing work of the Transforming Center. And so we want to cover you, though, while we're gone, and we don't want you to feel like you're missing a connection with us. And so to do that, we're going to re-air some older favorite episodes from the last 19 seasons, if you can believe that, 19 seasons. I think that represents like 185 episodes. So we have picked some episodes from the seasons and the themes and the topics that we think might be pertinent during this summer season. And we invite you to revisit them with fresh ears to listen for God's invitations for you right now. Um, if you'd like, you can also re-listen to the whole season. If that episode actually sparks your interest again, just go back and listen to the whole season. And we pray that God might use these to bring a new word to you now. And actually, some of the most important lessons that we learn in life, we don't learn them from hearing things only once. We have to go back over it, and God brings them back to us. And that's how they become solidified in our lives. And so now, please enjoy this episode from Season 6. Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means we've spent time laughing, growing, and being transformed in Christ's presence in community with other leaders. Thanks, Ruth. And hey, we've appreciated the great response we've had to the first five seasons of the podcast. And we would love to bring more seasons and expand what we're doing with the podcast. But all those things take financial resources. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, we'd like to invite you to become a monthly patron by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron. That's transformingcenter.org slash patron. You can choose what level of support you would like to give, and you'll get some exclusive bonus content for becoming a patron. Thanks so much for considering it. I also want to let you know that this season, we're walking through Ruth's newest book, which is called Invitation to Retreat. We're going to have one episode per chapter, and we encourage you to purchase the book and read along with us. When you buy the book from the Transforming Center, you're going to receive a signed copy from Ruth and some exclusive bonus offers. So visit thetransformingcenter.org to learn more. Episode four is called Finding Your Rhythm on Retreat. And you start this chapter with this sentence. It's so good. Human beings are made with rhythms and for rhythms. And when I read that, I just underlined it and said, yes, mm -hmm. but say more about what you mean. Yeah. Well, we are made with rhythms because, you know, our bodies have to have certain key rhythms in order to even be alive. So the rhythm of our breathing, the rhythm of our brain waves, the rhythm of our heartbeats. I mean, we wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for rhythms. So we are made with rhythms. And then there's these external rhythms that are wonderful to us. So the rhythms of the seasons, the rhythms of the waves and the tides, um, all of these things are just wonderful rhythms that we live in. And so we're made for that. So when we go on retreat, I think it's important for us to get into a rhythm so that we can just give ourselves to the rhythm as opposed to having to think every minute about what we're going to do next. And I also think that retreat is an amazing opportunity to return to the more natural rhythms, to actually discover what comes naturally for us and to give ourselves to those rhythms. Um, 
and to discover what's necessary and true and good at the core of our being and at the core of our lives. So I encourage people to sort of feel their way into some rhythms. Uh, go to bed when you're tired and discover when is your ideal time to go to bed. If it's eight o'clock, own it. You know, if it's 11 o'clock, own that. But discover on your own when you like to go to bed and then have that be your rhythm. Um, sleep until you're not tired anymore. So sleep until you wake up. Now that's an amazing opportunity on retreat. And and now your body's learning, oh, I might not be able to live in these rhythms all the time, but this is my natural rhythm. Um, pay attention to um, your rhythms of eating and particularly take pleasure within those rhythms. So on retreat, especially when we're not talking to other people and all that, we can actually enjoy our food and we can enjoy the rhythms of, of, uh, eating morning, noon, and night, and maybe having a cup of tea afterwards and just put some rhythms in place that have to do with eating. Um, and then to be able to enter into silence and sit in silence at different times during the day, rather than continue to just push and press forward on retreat, we can actually walk slowly. We can feel the rhythms of walking differently. We're not leaning forward, rushing all the time, but we can actually stand up straight and take slow steps and walk at a pace that is the right pace for us, as opposed to pushing ourselves always to be on time. Um, sit and look at the leaves blowing in a tree or sit and admire flowers or listen to birds sing and allow that silent space to just be there and enter into it. So I think retreat is a wonderful opportunity to change our pace and to live in rhythms that are actually more natural and not so forced by the external uh, situations of our lives. One question that comes up for people is retreat is different from vacation. How, how yeah. is it different? <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, well, on vacation, you're with other people for one thing. And if you're going to be with other people, you need to give them your attention. So this is very true for probably as true for me now as it ever was. Cause when we go on a family vacation, we have a very big family now and there's no retreating in that. But what I do get is I get to have time and space to be really present to the people that I love and to give them more time and attention than usual. But God doesn't get a lot of attention in, in the traditional ways yeah. on retreat. No, none of us even get quiet times on retreat. You know, on vacation. Yeah, on vacation. That's right. Um, so retreat is very much about giving oneself to God and giving one's full and undivided attention to God, whereas vacation is often full of fun, planned sightseeing, people that you love, um, and, and that's all well and good. It's, a, it's as it should be because that's mm -hmm. replenishing in its own way. So mm -hmm. yes, I do see retreat as being quite distinct from vacation. One of the practices that I came to return to and enjoy, mm -hmm. one of the rhythms mm -hmm. uh, on the transforming community experience was at lunchtime, the option was given to do silent yeah. lunch in a particular room. Mm -hmm. And I always took that. Yeah. And then I walked back to my yeah. room and took a nap. And then mm -hmm. I took a walk around the right. lake back where we used to be. Right. And I, I, I came to love the rhythm that yes. And you, I, you established your own rhythm. Yep. It's something that felt good to you and felt right to you. Yep. And very, very few people chose that, but I mm -hmm. did and I loved it. And, um, and then another rhythm was the Monday night celebration, mm -hmm. which I, I just, I, I enjoyed that so much because mm -hmm. it was so different from right. sort of everything mm -hmm. else we were doing. And, um, so I, I think rhythms are, are so important to return to, like, that's a time to be traditional, mm -hmm. you know, like, right. um, so let's return to silence, mm -hmm. uh, and why it's so important at us on a spiritual retreat and how it can re can create space within us, even if we're extroverts. Mm -hmm. Well, silence is the very definition of retreat. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's the coming away 
So that's part of the definition. But the other part of the definition really does have to do with the silence and the interior space that you're creating. And so to go someplace where you are supported in that silence becomes very, very important. So I remember one time going on a retreat and, you know, anytime I go on a retreat, I'm crawling in there exhausted. And on this particular retreat, they just did not support silence, I think, adequately at all. So we were invited to go around in the room and introduce ourselves, which in and of itself felt like an assault to me because I didn't want anybody to know who I was. I was looking for the anonymity. But then on top of the fact that we introduced ourselves, then they left it open for talking afterwards, which meant that people could approach you based on what you just shared about yourself. And I, I was in a panic because I was just longing to drop into that quiet, anonymous space. And now there I was in this situation that could become social at any minute. And so I literally ran out of the room because yeah. that is not what I'd come for. And that particular retreat uh, offering wasn't supporting the silence in the way that I think most people need silence when they come. Man, do I agree with that. And I, t I love how Transforming Community really supports that mm -hmm. so well, so well. Um, some people talk about, and I've seen it, being surprised by how much they cry yes. when they're on retreat. What's, yes. what's happening? Well, I think that in our normal lives, we are living so defended against our emotions and against the pain of life and the sadness of un ungrieved griefs and all of that. And, and also the ways in which we're living our lives opposite of what we really long for and what we really desire. And so when we come away on retreat, we actually get in touch with those dynamics of the soul. And all of a sudden, we're not as defended as we usually are. And the inner dynamics are closer to the surface. And so the tears come much more easily than they do when we're so defended. Um, and so the prayers that we might pray, you know, especially in community, we might be surprised by where we're touched to cry. Could also be that... Um, just kind of letting down our defenses as we're resting and sleeping and experiencing our humanity puts us in a more tender place where um, we're more in touch with those things that bring tears. And um, in the Christian tradition, tears are always seen as a gift. Mm -hmm. So that's the encouragement that I want to give here, that when we are closer to tears or actually experiencing more tears, I believe we are actually being gifted with those tears. That number one, it means that God is at work. And number two, it means that our hearts are tender and soft and we're no longer as defended as we usually are and that God is is really making progress with us. So my encouragement regarding the tears on retreat is that you really go with them. Try not to fight back your tears, but try to go with your tears and to see what's in there and how God wants to meet you in that place. It, it, it's, there's kind of a letting go mm -hmm. when you let yourself cry. Yes, you, indeed. The, and it's cathartic and it clears out some of the junk and garbage so that you can be clear about what's really going on in your soul. I think many of us don't realize how much what's really going on, our, on in our souls is sort of shrouded by unacknowledged grief and pain. And so we never do get to what's underneath because um, the ungrieved grief... And the undealt with pain is just almost like a layer over what it is that we really do need to pay attention to. Yeah. Whew. You tell a powerful story in this chapter about Kevin, uh, mm -hmm. this young man who was in the process of becoming a Jesuit priest, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he learned this pretty humbling lesson. Uh, you want to tell that story and how it affected uh, you? Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I will, and and put in the context of the fact that. I believe that if I hadn't been in the rhythms of a community's life, so I was at a Jesuit retreat center where 
I was entering into the community's life, which meant that we just did what they did. So we were in silence all the time, except for the service right before lunch, which is where we received the Eucharist. And there was always a reading of the scriptures for that week, the lectionary scriptures for that week. And there would be, you know, one of the, the persons in their community would give the homily. And so um, on this particular day, uh, the scripture was one of my favorites. It was the scripture where Jesus asked this rhetorical question, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their own souls? Um, what is worth more than your soul? And I was really struck by it because we were reading scriptures that were in the flow of the lectionary, which means that for those days that I was on retreat, this really important verse was in the lectionary reading. And that caught my attention. Mm -hmm. So one of the rhythms can be how we're reading scripture, whether or not we're reading with a lectionary or any sort of rhythm with our scripture. Um, so I, my antenna was up and I wondered what God was going to want to say to me through a verse that had become so important to me. Uh, over the years. And so then this young Jesuit priest got up to give the homily and he talked about these early assignments that the Jesuits had called experiments when they would serve in different places to grow as priests and to get in touch with some of the ministries that the Jesuits were involved in. And in, in his case, he was assigned to go to the place that we know as the Larch, which is um, Jean Vanier's uh, ministry to the disabled. And uh, it's where people live together. Those who were strong and well in their bodies and those who were challenged in their bodies would live together in community and, and expect that God would meet them in their life together in community. So he was assigned um, to be the primary caregiver for a man named Lionel. And because Kevin just wanted to be the best Jesuit ever, I think maybe he's a one, you know, he just yeah. wanted to do this thing right um, and to prove to his novice director how capable he was, he jumped in with high hopes. And he begins to tell this story about bathing Lionel one day. Uh, he's a 34-year-old man who couldn't speak or feed himself. He was confined to a wheelchair, and Kevin's job was to help him with all of his daily needs. And it was very difficult because Lionel would express himself with great frustration, sometimes hitting himself in the face and um, expressing his frustration physically. And every day seemed like it was a new challenge. Um, but on this particular day, um, as they were struggling to get him bathed, um, Kevin actually nicked him in the chin with a razor and um, remembers being wet, soaking wet, standing in a pool of water. Lionel is screaming, and now rather than hitting himself, he's hitting Kevin. And it was just this soul-searching moment where um, Kevin realizes his inadequacy in the face of this person's need. And so in the midst of all this, there was a knock on the door, and the woman who supervised the ministry there um, peeks her head in and asks if everything's okay. And so, you know, trying to be a good Jesuit, Kevin says, yes, everything is absolutely fine. Everything is fine. You know, and I th think I could see myself in that yeah, too. Totally. You know, it's all fine, yep. even though it's really I got not. It. I got it. Um, but this young, this woman who was over this ministry suggested that Kevin take a break and that she would finish things up, which she did. And then she came down and just sat next to Kevin. And she says, you know, as much as you may want to, you can't fix Lionel. God made him the way he is for a reason. And in her wisdom, she added, it may be to help people like you and me. And it was five days into this retreat, so I'm my heart, my soul, everything was just hanging out. You know, I was so raw and tender and open to anything that God would do. And when he started telling this story, I could just feel the, the tears starting to rise. And I was really embarrassed because on that particular day, I was sitting in the front row of the chapel. I didn't usually sit in the front row. I often would sit in the back just for privacy. But on this particular day, I was in the front row, wouldn't you know it? And I could not keep the tears back. And um, 
I realized as he continued to tell the story and as I'm fighting back my tears that what he was describing represented something I was aware of in my own life and that was my striving, the way that I too was striving to fix things that maybe couldn't be fixed and that maybe God wanted to have be the way they were. And yet I was still beating my head up against these realities. It's the willfulness. I think Mm -hmm. God was Mm -hmm. really confronting this willfulness that I've already admitted and mentioned to you here in this conversation. And um, I think God just raised into my consciousness several areas in which willfulness was really the issue, where I was still banging away at something that wasn't being given, and I was using an inordinate amount of energy to do it, and I was taking too much personal responsibility for the fact that this, these things couldn't be fixed in my life. And, and I began to sense maybe it was Jesus saying to me, hey, why don't you take a break and let me fix this? You know, why don't you take a break and let me finish up here? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't even know how to describe the way in which the message and the awareness of my willfulness penetrated my consciousness at that point. But then Kevin uh, brought his story full circle with uh, the gospel reading by stating that perhaps sometimes when we're giving what what are actually our best efforts to fix things in our own strength and through our own ideas that we must lay down our lives. We must lose our lives. And, and, and in fact, the refusing to keep fixing is, is laying down my life and saying, I can't do this anymore. Um, and he offers this perspective from Henry Nouwen that our life is full of brokenness, broken relationships, broken promises, broken expectations. How can we live with that brokenness without becoming bitter and resentful except by returning again and again to God's faithful presence in our lives. Um, And so there was a a further humbling there as well that I had to acknowledge that I had been bitter and resentful in some of these aspects of life where I hadn't been able to get my, my will and my way accomplished. And how ugly is that, you know, to have to acknowledge bitterness and resentment um, and willfulness and impotence in the face of these things that we can't fix. And I think um, in addition to what God was doing in my own heart, which was beyond anything I could have orchestrated for myself, was also this awareness that it was living within the rhythms of this community that actually opened this space for God. And so if we can go on retreat where there are prayer rhythms and where there's a community already functioning and enter into their rhythms, that's a way of submitting ourselves to God. It's a way of being, being together with others while we're alone because we didn't talk you know, this was the only time any of us were together and we didn't talk. It was just the people that were leading the service that talked. So I was still deeply in my silent place. And how wonderful that I could sit there and cry and know that nobody was going to come over and try to help me because we weren't allowed to do that. Nobody's talking to anybody. So nobody's going to intrude while you sit there and cry in the chapel. What a blessedness is that, you know? Um, But that it was the willingness to be in community, to be alone in community, that opened up this space for God and and did something that I couldn't have orchestrated. So rhythms, if we can find some rhythms like you found, give ourselves to the rhythms of a community um, and stay in the rhythms, it opens up space for God to do something surprising. How do we make sure uh, we're not over planning when it comes Mm -hmm. to following rhythms and creating rhythms? Mm -hmm. Because if we do that, then our minds just take over. And, you know, how do we... Is there any advice you would give Mm -hmm. around that? Well, um, in the back of this book, I do give some ideas for how to plan your own retreat. And I don't put times and things like that because I just want, I want to describe elements and flow for retreat, but it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be a really rigid schedule because that's part of what retreat is, is not being in the rigid schedules that many of us have to live with 
in our everyday life, getting up at a certain mm-hmm. time and being mm-hmm. at work at a certain time. And I don't know about you, but having meetings all day right. at certain times and my life feels way too structured and, um, with way too many things in it. So to have your retreat rhythm feel spacious is extremely important. Um, so I like to look at just the, the basic um, parts of the day. Like, what am I going to do? What do I do when I wake up? Um, generally, what might I do in the morning? Is there any ritual I want to have around meals if it's not provided? Um, am I going to plan to take a nap on most days? When do I want to take a walk and get some physical exercise? Um, what do I do in the evenings after dinner? Um, on one retreat, I would always, um, the, the, the place where we were was really beautiful. And so the sunsets were gorgeous. And so I noticed that many people had as part of their rhythm to sit in an Adirondack chair and to watch the sunset. And what a luxury it is to sit and watch a sunset for a couple hours. You know, um, it's an amazing thing. So just to build in those things that you know are replenishing for your soul, but to not do it in any kind of a rigid legalistic way. Um, and to just, you know, get to live in rhythms. Like I, I discover it like laying back in the waves in the ocean. There's something just really relaxing about being able to give yourself to it and not have to think too hard about what am I going to do next and next and next. So general contours for the day, yeah. the general contours of the day, but not necessarily a rigid schedule, I think are really helpful. Yeah. And you're paying attention to mm-hmm. your own inner dynamics, right. what, what, what's feeling right. good and what's yes. not. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I found so helpful too, when I could be aware of it, is to walk slower. And right. you, you mentioned that earlier, yes. but I think mm-hmm. that it's revolutionary. Oh, I feel so actually. good to walk so slow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You cha- you literally change right. your pace. You do. Right. You do. Yeah. The other thing I really, really have enjoyed about being on, on retreat where I have spiritual direction is that I actually take more time to prepare for spiritual direction. So I'd take, you know, a half an hour, 45 minutes to be prayerful about what I want to bring into mm-hmm. spiritual direction. And then I would always build in some time after spiritual direction to note yeah. what happened in that session that I wanted to, you know, continue to claim as being real for myself. And, um, boy, you know, spiritual direction within my normal everyday life is a little bit more like rushing in, having the appointment, <laughs> rushing out. And I don't even remember what happened, yeah. you know, and you know, that's, I'm overstating no, it, yeah. but it's not the same. And so even having a, a different rhythm around what I could do with my spiritual direction sessions was helpful. Well, it's so good. We talked about rhythms. There are so many, so many helpful things. I think this one in particular might be a good episode just to listen to again mm-hmm. uh, as you prepare for a retreat. So uh, how would you like to close this episode, mm-hmm. Ruth? Well, let's, let's take some time to breathe um, and experience the rhythm. Um, that statement that you highlighted, human beings are made with rhythms and for rhythms. So let's experience the rhythm, one of the rhythms that we're made with, and that is the rhythm of our breathing. So breathe all the way in, all the way down at the bottom of your lungs. A slow and full exhale. Again, and again, and 
And even in this moment, allow yourself to feel your own longing for maybe different rhythms than you get to live in your ordinary life. The winsome call, the winsome invitation to rhythms. And then just say something true to God about what you're most wanting right now. And listen for God's response. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts to choose from, and we are grateful you spent the last 30 minutes with us. If God has stirred something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin your own journey of leadership transformation. I was a part of Transforming Community Number 6 way back in 2011, and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. Transforming Community is a practice-based spiritual formation journey with nine quarterly retreats. The Transforming Community is designed to integrate your spirituality and leadership, helping you reclaim practices and experiences spiritual seekers down through the ages have used to open themselves to God's transforming work. Thank you so much for your support of the Transforming Center and this podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. These reviews and ratings increase the visibility of the podcast. Thanks so much.